0: Welcome to The Baptist Pulpit. This podcast is designed to introduce to the audience Baptist preachers both living currently in America or across the world, and also to introduce classic speakers, men of the past that were Baptist preachers that have inspired men like myself for years to preach the word of God. And they also, through their preaching, highlight Baptistic principles. Thanks for listening to The Baptist Pulpit. Thanks for subscribing also. If you subscribe, I'll give you that special gift. We're not sure what it is yet. (laughs) We do thank you for subscribing. Go to our podcast location as far as finding these things on BaptistPulpit.com. There are other Baptist guys and dudes that are there that you can look and find up some interesting podcasts. So hopefully BaptistPulpit.com, you'll look at that and browse around. Our featured speaker for today is Dr. Mike Allison. He is the senior pastor of Madison Baptist Church, located in Madison, Alabama. He was born in Sturgis, Michigan. Married his wife, Janet, shortly after high school. And in October of 1971, while working his afternoon shift at a radio station, it wasn't a Christian radio station, he was a DJ there at WAOP in Otsego, Michigan, right there near Sturgis, Michigan. And he was saved while working there. He was called to preach in 1974, graduated with a Bachelor of Arts degree in Tennessee Temple, 1976. Uh, He has a Master's degree, a Doctorate of Ministry, an Honorary Doctorate. And he's been the pastor of Madison Baptist Church since 1989. Appreciate his strong preaching. Pray that the preaching today from Dr. Mike Allison will be a blessing to you as you listen.
1: Turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 15, 1 Samuel chapter 15. Let me start out by giving you the title of the message, and then we'll pray and read the scripture, and then we'll be looking at a lot of Bible this morning, all right? So, and even if it's not all right, that's still what we're going to do. But uh, the title of the message is, Verses Most Baptists Don't Believe. Verses. Now, I, I'm not preaching on verses most Methodists don't believe. I'm not a Methodist. Amen. I'm not preaching on most verses that Church of God don't believe. I'm not Church of God. Amen. I'm a Baptist, Amen. so I think I can speak with some authority on the subject about verses most Baptists don't believe. Having said that, let's pray. Father, we love you. We do pray that you'll. Bless our time together. Fill me with the Spirit of God, I pray. God, convict us. Convict us, Heavenly Father, of our disobedience, our unbelief, and not walking according to your word in all ways. Lord, may we not make excuses today. May we be frank and honest before you. And Lord, we'll thank you as you deal with our hearts. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I read this passage basically as an example to what the message is. We're not going to preach so much from the passage. As a matter of fact, we're going to look at a lot of verses. But notice, first of all, here in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1, <clears throat> Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember what Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. And Saul gathered the people together, numbered them in in Talaam, Two hundred thousand footmen and ten thousand men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And Saul said unto the Kenites, Go, depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them, for ye showed kindness to all the children of Israel when ye came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of, Am- of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and of the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king. For he has turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. This is an interesting passage of Scripture. Saul is the first king of Israel, the first anointed king. And God gives him a job to do. He tells Samuel to go to Saul and let him know what the Lord had commanded. He was to go to the Amalekites. The Amalekites had constantly troubled Israel when they had left the land. You remember in Exodus chapter 17, you have a big battle that had taken place between Joshua and the men of Israel. And that was the day that and they fought the Amalekites. That was the day that Moses stood with his hands up as long as his hands were up in prayer. Israel won when his hands, which were heavy, would come down. Uh, Then the Amalekites would begin to win. And that's when Aaron and Hur came up and they held up Moses' hands until the battle was complete and they got a great victory. So, but the Amalekites had troubled Israel throughout the trip. As a matter of fact, in Exodus chapter 17, they talked about how they would go in and smite the hindmost parts of the, in other words, they'd take out the stragglers of Israel. Just a constant problem to them. And now God says, Samuel, I want you to, or Saul, I want you to go down, take the army of Israel, go down and destroy everyone and everything they've got. And so Saul, the first king, gets an army of over 200,000 to go down and take out the Amalekites. And they slew the people in the city with the exception of King Agag. He slew the animals that didn't look all that good and they brought the best back. Now Saul had disobeyed God, although he would argue differently. After all, he had gotten the army together. He had gone down to the Amalekite city. He had killed most of the people that were there. He had killed much of the spoil that was there. And so he thought he had done well. And you'll notice in verse 11, here's how God looked at it. He says, it repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king. Here's God's take on what Saul had just done. For he has turned back from following me. Now, did you get that? He obeyed most of what God said to do, but he didn't obey at all. And he says, he has turned back from following me. And then the Lord says this, and hath not performed my commandments. Now, Samuel was grieved because Samuel was the man who had anointed Saul to be king. And it says, he cried unto the Lord all night. So Samuel got up the next morning and he went out to meet Saul. Notice in verse 13, the scripture says, And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou the Lord. Now underline this. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Really? What did God say about it? According to verse 11 back there, he said, And hath not performed my commandments. And here's Samuel. You know, there are a lot of people who claim, I I love the Lord. I believe his word. I obey his word. When in reality, they don't. They obey parts of the word. They obey the parts that they want to obey. And so Saul, Samuel speaks up and he says in verse 14, uh, what meaneth then the bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the cattle? He says, you know, I'm, I'm hearing something. If you obeyed God, why do I hear sheep? If you obeyed God, why do I hear the cattle? If you performed the commandment of the Lord. And Saul said, they have brought them from. Now, did you notice that? He didn't say we. He said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. You know, we use a lot of people as our excuse for not being obedient to the Lord. Well, if she, if they, if he, if that preacher hadn't done this, if those deacons hadn't said that, if that person hadn't talked about me, if this hadn't, if that blah, blah, blah. That's where he's at. Samuel said unto Saul, Stay and I'll tell thee what the Lord has said unto me this night. And he said, Say on. Well, let's go on down to verse 22. It says, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. The part that we skipped over, Saul says, well, the reason that those animals are still alive is we brought back the best of the animals to sacrifice to the Lord. But what had God said? God said they were all to be destroyed. There is no good reason to disobey God. If God's people get a hold of this, there is no good reason to disobey God. So then we look at the next verse. He says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. And then he passes judgment because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Incomplete obedience, God calls rebellion, God calls stubbornness. God says that he had rejected the word of the Lord. Now we get pretty excited because we're 90 percenters. We obey 90% of the word of God. And we're much better than that other group over there than only obeys 75% of the word of God. And we're really better than that other group over there that only obeys 51% of the word of God. And we're really better than that other group over there doesn't even believe the Bible to begin with. We are pretty good people. We must be in good shape. But Jesus put it this way. In John chapter 14, he said, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And then he says in verse 24, And he that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. You see, the word of God is God's word. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, he says, Matthew 4, 4, before the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by how many words that proceed out of the mouth of God? Every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. But sometimes we think we know better or we've got good excuses why it is all right that we don't obey his word. You remember when Moses, oh, the people of Israel have been complaining again. This time they didn't have water. And so God said to Moses, you go up and you speak to the rock before the people. And Moses went up to the rock and he spoke to the people and he hit the rock. Now water came out. God blessed. They needed water. God gave them water anyway. But God then told Moses and Aaron both that they were not going into the promised land, that they were going to die because he said, you believed me not. Well, surely they believed God. Surely they believed the word of God. Yeah, but God told them to speak to the rock, didn't tell them to hit it. They hit it, brought glory to themselves instead of glory to God. And as a result, they weren't going to get to go into the promised land. Now, here's Moses. Here's a guy. Man, he's the one who wrote the stuff down. He wrote the words of God down. He's the author, the human author of Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. If anybody should have known better, it should have been Moses. But he didn't get to go into the promised land because he didn't obey God's word. That doesn't mean he wasn't saved. He was a saved man. You know, there are a lot of verses that we believe the world, uh, that the world doesn't. For instance, we definitely here at Madison Baptist Church, we believe all the verses on hell in the Bible. We believe it when Jesus said, And the rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. When Abraham tells him back that nobody can get down to where he's at to help him, and nobody where he's at can come out of there. We believe that. We believe it when the Bible says in Revelation 14, 11, "...and the smoke of their torment ascendeth forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night." Now, people might name us and say we're a fire and brimstone church. Now, what that should mean is we believe that fire and brimstone is in hell, and people that go there burn forever because it's true. And we also believe that there is only one way for people to escape hell, and that's to come to Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus said in John 3, 18, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Amen to that. We believe that. We believe there's only one gospel. And that gospel is the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 4. So let's give ourselves a big star. We believe that. What about the verses most Baptists don't seem to believe, though? I mean, how in the world could we be upset with people who don't believe the Bible when the people who are supposed to believe the Bible really don't? What do we do with that? Now, I know this may be an uncomfortable Sunday morning today. You say, preacher, this ought to be a Sunday night message. Why? Why? I mean, the Bible says not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as a matter of some is, but so much the more as ye see the day approaching, we're to assemble together. The Bible says required in the stewards that a man be found faithful. I might as well preach it on Sunday morning because there's many that wouldn't be back Sunday night to hear it. And some that wouldn't be back on Wednesday night if I preached it then. So we might as well get it when we need it. And when we need it is Sunday morning. Bible verses we don't believe, or at least most Baptists don't believe. Let me give you, first of all, concerning witnessing. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, you might want to write down some of the verses. We'll not take the time to turn to all of them. But Mark 16, 15 is a familiar familiar one. Jesus said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to who? Every creature. We are commanded to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, do we have any creatures around Madison? We got a bunch of creatures around Madison. We got a bunch of creatures around uh, Madison County. We've got a bunch of—I mean, there are creatures all over. I don't care where you go, there are creatures. Go to the gas station, there are creatures. Go to the grocery store, there are creatures. they are just creatures all over. Creatures in the ha- We're to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He didn't say go into all the world and look for an opportunity, you know, that come up and say, hey, how do you get saved? No, he said go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's how they did it in the book of Acts. They were obeying the word of God. He said in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Acts 1.8, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the innermost parts of the earth. Number one job of believers is to win others. Amen. To go out and tell others how to be saved. It's not just the soul winning visitation pastor's job to go out and tell others how to be saved. It's every Christian's job to go out and tell people how to get saved. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He said, but preacher, that was given to the disciples. Well, what are you? Are you not a disciple of Jesus Christ? If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you should be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Amen. The command is for us. By the way, Jesus said to Nicodemus, the Jew, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Does that mean only Jews need to be born again? means everybody needs to be born again. It's amazing how we get to explain our way out of our need to obey the word of God. And our explanations would fall apart with so many other verses. I mean, do you believe it? You have a responsibility to tell others. How about this? This goes along with that. Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 18. When I say unto the wicked thou shalt surely die and thou givest him not warning nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at thy hand. You see, if people die lost having never heard, their blood he requires at our hand. Every one of us who were saved, We have a responsibility to get the gospel to every creature. Not just those that can put on a nice suit on Sunday morning, but those that all they got are holy blue jeans to wear. They need the gospel too. Amen? They need to be reached. Has nothing to do with how much money they can put in the offering plate. Everybody needs Jesus, for if they die without Him, they'll burn in hell for eternity, and it's our responsibility to witness. Do you realize when the New Testament church first went out in the book of Acts, they did not have a New Testament to carry with them? They did not have a gospel tract to hand anybody. Man look at them in the book of acts and you find they suffered persecution real quick into the church but they kept going out and telling others without a track without a new testament and matter of fact on the day of pentecost they went out to the very crowd that had crucified Jesus just 50 days before And they preached it straight to them. They didn't pull any punches. And at no time, by the way, and you've heard me say this before, read through your book of Acts. You don't find one time where the disciples that went out to preach in their message said, God loves you. Not one time did they say, Jesus loves you that we have recorded in the book of Acts. Now, I believe his message is a message of love, but for the most part, the world does not understand the love of God at all. And they won't until they come to the conclusion and understanding that they deserve to burn in hell for eternity, and but for God's love, they'd have no hope of going to heaven whatsoever. If God would have destroyed the world, he'd have been right to do it. And he'd have still been a God of love. So, concerning witnesses, we have theirs. Do you still believe the Bible? I mean, if God was putting the standard on obedience to His word to us that He put on it to King Saul, what would He say about us? Now, think about it. We've got so many different ways to get the gospel out. And there are lost people all around us. What a responsibility we have. What about, oh, are you, are you ready for a tough one? Are you ready for a real tough one? This is tough. We're, this is Bible preaching church. We believe it. We say, all right. You want me to skip over the ones we don't believe? But we're not going to get right if we don't get right about Those. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I haven't mentioned this in ages. In ages. Every time I read it, I think, you know, not many people I know believe this. Chapter 1, verse 10. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians. Chapter 1, verse 10. Look at it. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all... Speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me, I was talking to a a lady who happened to be a Seventh-day Adventist several years ago. And she said to me, while I was witnessing to her, she said, Well, you Baptists, you believe once saved, always saved. And uh, I, I said, Uh-huh. And she said, I, I don't believe that. And I said, Well, let me ask you a question. If I could show you in the Bible the words where it says, Once saved, always saved, would you believe it if I could show you in the Bible? Well, she wouldn't answer me. And so then I, I put her at ease. I said, Listen... I cannot show you a verse that says those words, once saved, always saved. But if it was in the Bible like that, would you believe it? Oh, well, she felt safe and secure then. She said, she said well, yes, I, I would believe it if it said it in the Bible. And so I opened up my Bible to John chapter 5 and verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Now, I said, that's getting saved, isn't it? And she said, oh, yes, if you have everlasting life, you're saved. And then I said, and shall not. And I said, no, wait, I, you go ahead and read it. I, I won't read it out loud. You read it. And so she read it out loud. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Well, evidently, according to that, for all who get saved, like you said, will not come into condemnation. She looked down read it. She looked up at me. She looked back at the verse again, read it again. And then she said, classic, this is classic. It must not mean that. <laughs> is that if I can show you in the Bible, it said once you have everlasting life, you can't lose it. Now let's go back to this verse again. What does it say? He's writing to the Church of God at Corinth there in uh, verses one and two. Verse 10, "Now I beseech your brethren by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be." Now ye all, how many do you think that means? Do you think that means the deacons? Well, I would hope. How about the deacons' wives? you think that means the Sunday school teachers too? How about their spouse? Do you think it means them too? Do you think it means the biggest givers of the church? As well as those who can't? He says that ye all speak the same thing. And then he says, and that there be no divisions among you. Now, I didn't sneak into your home and write that in your Bible. I think you'd have to admit it was already printed there before you ever came to church, wasn't it? It was already there. I mean, we don't pass out Bibles with that in it and when they're not in row Bibles. that They're in every Bible. He's talking to the church. He said, man, you're to be like-minded on the, All of you are. I mean, getting out the gospel, that is the main thing. That's why we're here, isn't it? God's Word is God's Word, all of it. We ought to all be saying that. I mean, they're just these judgments. This is what he requires in the church. Turn over with me to Philippians chapter 2 just a moment. I know this is hard, man. This is hard. Well, I'm not giving up my opinion. Jesus, or Jesus. Paul said, follow me even as I also follow Christ. How do you know if the preacher's following Christ? You got a book right here. Read it. Read it. As long as he follows Christ... But to you of salvation and that of God, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which he saw in me and now here to be in me. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit of any bowels and mercies fulfill you my joy, that you be what? Like-minded. Having the same love, being of one accord, one mind. Well, will not take the time to read Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 3 through 6. Basically the same thing. Like-minded. We got one book. That doesn't mean different things to different people. It means exactly what God said it meant. He wrote it to be understood. He didn't write, write it for us to play with it. He wrote it for us to walk in obedience to him. And as far as the things that we don't know or can't understand, he says the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But the things, the things which he has revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. That's our responsibility. So concerning witnesses, concerning his command to the churches. How about this one? How about how we treat scorners in the church? Now, we saw what he said about having the same mind, but I want you to turn over to the book of Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. Now, do you still believe all the Bible? I wish you were a little more sure about that. (laughs) Amen. Still believe all the Bible. I mean, are we Bible believers or not? We're only 90% Bible believers, and uh, that doesn't put us in a very good light with him. All right, now what about scorners in the church? Notice what he says in verse 17. He says, now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and what? Yes, he didn't say friend them on Facebook. He said mark them and avoid them. You know, I hate, I absolutely hate getting telemarketers calling me on my cell phone. <laughs> Between 11 o'clock every day and 1.30 in the afternoon, I'll get at least five calls from telemarketers. And that irritates the fire out of me. And every time, as soon as I get one, I've got a thing called Mr. Number on my phone. I go to Mr. Number, and I block that number. Now, I realize, though, that the number that comes across is not the number they're calling from, but it makes me feel good to block that number where they can't use it again. (laughs) It irritates me. I block it. As a matter of fact, with that program, I could go to a list of all the numbers that I have blocked, and there are a lot of numbers that I have blocked. Why have I marked them? Because I don't want to be called from that number again. Once was enough. So he says, Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. You don't sit down and have little Bible studies on the side with them. He says, Mark them. And avoid them. With that in mind, turn over to 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, I'm sorry, chapter 3. Notice in verse 14, he says, of these things, put them in remembrance. I'm sorry, that's uh, chapter 2 Thessalonians. I was in Timothy. I knew that wasn't right. 2 Thessalonians, chapter 3 and verse 14. He says, and if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company. What do you think that means? No company with him that he may be ashamed. Do you believe that? Do you, I mean, really, do you believe that? Hmm. Or are we 90 percenters? We're just talking about obeying God's word. Oh, my. I don't, I don't know if you can handle these next two. Can you handle it? You still, you still believe you're still a Bible believer or mostly a Bible believer. Are you ready now? All right. Go over to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter. Man, this is hard. I'll tell you what, this is something a pastor wants the evangelist to preach on. Problem is, you can't get them to do it. They want to be invited back. All right, so Hebrews chapter 13, look at this. That's just, man, this scares us to death. Remember them, verse 7. Remember them which have the rule over you. Now, who's he talking about? Who have spoken unto you the word of God. Who do you think he's talking about? Well, Sure. All right. He said, first of all, remember that. Well, you haven't forgotten me. And I thank the Lord for that. But it's more than that. He says, whose faith. Considering the end of their conversation. Now, I I don't know why, but over the years, I've heard a number of our people make statements like this to other people. Oh, Brother Allison. We love Brother Allison. Now I don't agree with him about everything. Now why is that even needed? I'm anybody with half a brain knows that you don't agree about everything. But why do we feel like we just got to say it? Well, because people think I'm as crazy as you are. Yeah, but you said you already love me. <laughs> Whose faith? Go to verse 17, it gets tougher. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Why? For they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. Obey. And by the way, he says that twice. Whose faith follow. And then he says obey. I don't know how many men that I've met who one of their big upsets is. That their wife doesn't submit or obey them like they should. I know that wasn't talking about the wife to the husband, though. That's talking about the people to the pastor. Oh, are you getting the connection? Some of you, the light's on, but nobody's home. I can see it in your eyes. You're, You're not getting the connection. What is the man of God there for? And by the way, if the man of God isn't the man of God, you need to find one who is and get him. Isn't that right? You say you realize you might be talking yourself out of a job? That's okay. Whose faith follow? All right. What about culture, though? What about the verses that run exactly contrary to our culture? For there's an awful lot of things that we allow that we don't have to be in the word of God long. And we find that good night, we have missed the boat on a number of things. So, are you ready? Let's go to them. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, I'm going to need you to listen fast here so I can get done before (laughs) 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Notice verse 15. Notice he says in verse 15, know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body, for two saith he shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Underline it. Flee fornication. He just told you why. He told you why premarital sex is sin. He just told you why. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on. Flee fornication, every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Notice he said every sin that a man doeth, every sin that a man doeth is without the body, except one. And it's not eating sugar. It's not drinking Coca-Cola. Fornication is against the body. And then he says, what know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Too many times we stop reading right there because we have a chapter break. Now the word of God is God's word, every word of it. The chapter breaks are not inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. They didn't come along until almost 1,100 years after the Bible was given, as far as where you've got the numbered verses and so on. And those were put in there for people simply so it would be easier to find the verses. It's easier to say turn to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6 than to say try to find a place that says thus and so in 1 Corinthians. So verse se- uh, uh, chapter 7 and verses 1 and 2 continue dealing with the same subject, fornication. After he lays the groundwork as to why fornication is sin and tells us to flee it, he says, now concerning the things wherever you wrote unto me, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication. See, same subject. He says that every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Now, I know, and I still preach it. I haven't changed my preaching in 40-some years that I've been preaching because God's not changed his word. That men and women, before they get married, are not to touch. That's the word, and that's the reason why. If they don't touch, they won't commit fornication. It's not it's not a matter, well, well, we're just gonna neck and pet. Well, then you are leaving yourself wide open to do that which he told you to flee from. Right. I mean, but we, we just kiss good night after the well, do you know all that starts with a kiss? Right. And then two and then three, and then the passions get up, and young people, now's the time to be listening here. That's good yeah. You get this, this is what the book teaches. Before you get married, you're not to touch. Nevertheless, he says, you get married, then you don't have to worry about it. Now, you say, preacher, is it that serious? Totally contrary to our culture. Our culture says, well, first you got to see if you get along physically. Oh, no, no, no. Physical's after marriage. It's after the I do. That's where things begin beforehand. You make sure, number one, you agree spiritually. The dating process is to see that you... uh, Dating, courtship, I don't care what you want to call it... uh, Is to see that you agree emotionally. And the physical is after the I do. The devil's turned it all around. Our culture's turned around, got it backwards. And the culture is wicked and ungodly. All right, then you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11... You say, this is not a big deal, but it is in chapter 11. First Corinthians chapter 11, he starts out in verse 3. He says, I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. The head of Christ is God. Then he says, every man praying or prophesying with his head covered dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. All right. So if a man is praying with his head covered, who does he dishonor? Yeah, he dishonors Christ. Christ is his head. But if a woman prays with her head uncovered, she dishonors her head. And who's her head? Her husband. All right. Now, he goes on in the next several verses and tells you why that is so. It has to do with the reason of God's creation. He created us differently and with a different purpose. And then he gets down to verse 14. He said, "Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is the same unto him. They say, what do you mean nature? You? How does But don't lions have those big manes? You're not talking about that nature. You just study back through history. You look at every civilization that's come around in almost every case. The men, naturally, short hair. And the women, naturally, long hair. I mean, let's go back to the Romans. Go back in Jesus' day. The coins have all the men in short hair. And the women with long hair, he says. Even he said, "You don't even need a Bible for this." Good. So he says, "For a man to have long hair, it's a shame to him. But for a woman to have long hair, it's a glory to her. For her hair is given her for a covering. How does she cover her head? Her hair. But the man prays, and he's got long hair. He's got his head covered. He dishonors Christ. Isn't that what it said?" Now, look at verse 16. In verse 16, he goes on, But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither in the churches of Christ. In other words, we're not going to argue about this. God is the one who set this up. We're not going to get together at church and vote whether or not long hair, short hair, or men. We're not going to vote on it. God's already spoken. That's the final say. A church vote's not going to change it. He said, I just disagree with the pastor. You're wrong. Because the Bible says it makes it plain. Right. That ought to be enough. Now, you say, well, what about if if a lady doesn't have well, let's say she's had cancer, her hair's falling out, she doesn't have any long hair. Then put something on her head. By the way, do you know where that's that's where hats on ladies in churches came from? Women wanting to honor God, right. make sure their head was covered. There's nothing wrong with that, it covers the head. Looks good. It's why men, when they walk into church, if they have a hat, take it off. I mean, this goes way back, man. This didn't start in the last two decades. Been going on for a long time. It has to do with honoring our head. Our head is Christ, men. And that's why this is so. That's why we don't put long hair on our boys either. Now, I'm just simply saying, don't get mad at me. Just get the point of the message. You say you're a Bible believer. Really? Whether it be on the matter of going into all the world and preaching the gospel to every creature. Whether it be on the matter of being together in unity as a people in a local church. Saying the same thing. Having the same goals. Or whether it be in obedience to the preaching of the word of God. Or how you treat scorners. Or whether it be how you look. Or how you treat one another in relationships. You see, this whole thing right here is God's word. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect. Now, you want to be a Bible church or a culture church? And for those of you who still think, well, culture, it's different today. God destroyed the world because of its culture. Just read Genesis chapter 6. God took Israel out of the land he had given them because their culture had become corrupt. Over and over again, we find God's judgment upon people because of their culture. The last thing I want to do is live according to my culture. I ought to want to live according to God's word. Are you really a Bible believer? Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. I know, Lord, we could have covered many other scriptures. So many more things we could have dealt with today. We only hit the tip of the iceberg. But God convict us, each one of us individually, about how we really stand on the word of God. Or have we become like Saul? Have we come to the place where we've turned back from following you? Where we have not obeyed your word, have become stubborn and rebellious. God, please, move upon our hearts today to decide to get our lives in line with your word. And Father, we'll thank you as you move upon our hearts, for we ask it in Jesus' name.
0: Thanks for listening to The Baptist Pulpit. 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We pray that through the challenging preaching of the word of God today, that you will be encouraged to stay faithful in preaching the word and hearing the word. Lester Roloff many years ago said, the world's greatest need is preaching preachers. Let's pray that in this day and this hour, we will stay faithful to the preaching of Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening to The Baptist Pulpit.